Hi, my name is Jevila and I'm a trauma-informed somatic practitioner and therapist in training. Yoga teacher, movement artist and a co-founder of Less Stress Holistic Mental Wellbeing Solutions that offers sessions, consultancy, workshops and toolbox for businesses, individuals and organizations. I'm also a host of Less Stress Podcast, where we meet with a variety of professionals from trauma, somatic, psychology, science, spiritual and activism fields to find, sense, feel and talk about our interconnectedness as a way to realize, create and integrate new ways of personal and collective living. I would like to shortly mention a few things. So last week we released our newest version of a website. So if you go to the lessstress.com and go to our office section where you can press on the text and you will be directed to a form. So where you can request either business offers. You can also request more information about the personal sessions and the workshops. And the last part, you can actually type uh, your wishes and needs for a mental health toolbox. So what topics, sessions, workshops you would like to see on a digital platform. And that would help us a lot, your participation. The second thing is that we are hosting two workshops. So on the 26th of this month and on the 2nd of November, you're live in Oslo. And the focus will be on actually the poetry writing and reconnection to our bodies and how rebalancing, reconnecting to the bodies and the nervous system, we can actually access that free flow of creativity and truly express ourselves in a vulnerable way with others. So this will be wonderful and more details will be in the website. In this episode, we discuss vulnerability and courage and what's considered a brave leadership and how we actually perceive it as a majority of society. Vulnerability is so hard for so many of us. It's considered a weakness because so often we are afraid and because we don't want anyone to see that. We put the armor in front of us to appear strong. We want to be right and not make mistakes, so we put others down or feel jealous instead. In doing that, we rub ourselves off the real connection, transparency and resonance. With Yannicke, Bugge and Gabriella, we tried to unpack the power of vulnerability and how can we rebuild the understanding of leadership where being vulnerable is equal to being courageous. Yannicke is a co-founder and senior consultant of Brave Leadership. In Brave Leadership, their focus is on a consistent, high degree of psychological security and authentic leaders who dare to step forward as good role models. Their work is carried out through leadership team development, leadership development programs, team development, coaching and lectures. In autumn 2023, they started the IDG Oslo Brave Hub, applying inner development goals that were researched as 23 skills that we all need to be trained in as people and leaders. It's truly open, vulnerable, and a courageous conversation. So please, let's delve in this together. 
So it's really nice to have with me today uh, Janneke and Gabriela in this beautiful recording studio. And uh, uh, today we are talking about very interesting points that I think every human can relate to at any point in their lives. Uh, but not necessarily we go beyond the concepts of that. So we're going to talk about uh, courage, vulnerability, and also leadership in relation to those two things. So I just would like to start with actually very simple, but I think at the same time very complex thing, because overall it's your personal journey. So just a little bit about your, I guess, life story and kind of the beginning of how you came into this conscious leadership or leading the conscious leadership from like this bravery and courage point of view? That's a big question. Hi, good to be here. Um, let me start with, um, with a personal journey. I think to kind of crack open everything and go around, you know, education and, and all that sort of things, um, which is more structural, I think. From I was very little, I have been extremely sensible and sensitive. Uh, and I've also been very lucky because I have a, what I call a ground strength in me that has made me somehow always, no matter how hard I've found things, I know, and this is something I've thought back on very, very many times, I've always known that I have the power to go through whatever hits me. And I think what made me l learn that is you don't, you don't learn things like that until you've been into really hard times. And I don't think my story is ex very exceptional. I, I had a very, very strong father. Um, very, very patriarchic, uh, classic um, authority that I did not understand anything of, um, <laughs> basically. So I can tell the story how I was a cross-country skier. I realized when I was 17 that maybe I just skied to please him. And there, there are long stories about how I spend a lot of courage to stand up against him because he was a very he is still a very strong strong character so i think that was my first kind of hard um hard test uh to get to know what courage means and i remember i like growing up and in my 20s i had a lot of discussions with myself saying but am i really not doing this because i'm afraid of his reaction that can't be you know that that cannot be the way i'm supposed to be so i had to go out of my comfort well quite early i think and be very aware of why i did the things that i wanted to do and because i had been in in my in my experience, he doesn't see it this way, of course, because he did whatever he thought was best for me. But I felt held back. I felt that I was pushed down, that everything I did was wrong. 
And so I had to break free. And when you break free from that, you, well, I ended up doing things that I'm not very proud of, but still um, had to break loose um, from, from my father, especially. And when I realized how I did that, I realized that I couldn't keep blaming him for my bad days. I couldn't keep blaming him for my misery because over and and in all the pictures that I see now later is that he is the most, he did everything he could to give me love and make me um, able to fly in this world alone. And just because he pushed me so hard in very many ways, I learned how strong I can be. And it took me many years, and I made a, met a priest once, and this was an important part of why I think I took my own hands on my own steering wheel and thought that, you know what, I need to do this life myself. Uh, I listened to um, a conversation when I started school or studying in, in Trondheim, and this priest, he had, he, he had a lecture for new students, and he said, well, welcome students. You might think that you're grown up now, moved away from home and everything. Just remember that you're not grown up until you have your parents. And that is the only thing I remember from that hour of speech. But that stuck with me because something in me, I was only 19, and something in me told me, this one is something you need to find out. And I didn't understand then what that means. I mean, it's it can be easy, but when I started, you know, digging the layers of what I had to forgive and what I had to go through to really let that go and take action in my own life, then I also realized what kind of traumas my body had pictured in my childhood. Even though from the outside, my childhood looked like a perfect, Norwegian, healthy, caring. I had everything that I needed. I just had a very, very strong father wanting me to be very much. And also that I think can 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 you know that 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 that's where stress starts with me. That's when I started to realize that this caused my body a lot of stress. And then I had to start finding out how to heal those things. So I think that's the start of the story, and that's why courage has been so important. It sounds like a happy ending, in a way. Um, but I think so often, sometimes, especially when people go through, um, you know, those difficult unpackings of, of trauma and, and layers and how to break through uh, into your own authenticity and aligned being, it's a lot of in-between, right? It's a lot of uh, emotions and uh, physical sensations and circumstances that arise, uh, external, internal. So if you dare, could we go a bit into that just to slowly unpack actually how that process might look like so we don't pack it into like too beautiful of a package? Absolutely. The reason why I think that my story is important because I am, in general, a healthy person. I've been lucky. I have a I have a good health, so I could easily not notice the signs that I've been given physically on the way. Um, but 
I've I've had well I believe that the body is telling us things. I've always also grown up saying that or hearing that um, we need to listen to the body. Um, and I had a beautiful grandmother, and she taught me a lot of things. Uh, she did. She never called it yoga, but she did stretching in her bathroom every morning. And I remember we lived in the same house. I remember seeing her. I remember hearing hearing her. Uh, she had this way of sighing. She had this way of ah. And she did that a lot. And now that I've learned, you know, the way the body is 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 working more somatically, that I can see in retrospect how she's actually been healing herself through her way of doing it. And she's just she never learned it from anyone. She just she was she she just existed. So within me, if I go through like my health kind of history, I've had some really, really bad stomach pain. Um, and it took me a long while. And no one around me said, but how are you really? No one connected that to my, to my mental health or to my, my well-being in a, in a different layer. It was, it was always just treated as a sickness. Like I had a, I don't know these words in English, like before you have a, um, um, like if you if you have a lot too much acid, uh, so I don't know how you call this, but I I got pills, of course, and I'm I'm not a I'm a nature child. I don't I don't I don't do medication. Then I would rather go in and listen to what my body is trying to tell me. And I think I've done that um, all the way. First, unconsciously, I think, but something in my system has always told me that something else is wrong if I. Is my if my physics is not okay, and I believe that I've had some things that have helped me. I don't really know if this is answered to your question. You can you can keep digging if you want to know more. But I think I've had some self medication, and one of them is definitely music. Um, and I can see, I can look back, and I can see how much hard and music that's been filled with pain and that comes from pain that I felt home in. And I picked the music uh, for something to resonate with what I felt. And I think we do that. I think we listen to the music that resonates what we need to, you know, um, be comforted by. Uh, and it's comfort to know that someone else has felt the same feelings, especially when things are hard. So I can see in my music history, I've, I've listened to a lot of very hard uh, and very sad and very, very emotional music. Well, music is to me emotional, all of it, but very little light pop in my, in my music history. All well, that can be very cheering and, and happy sometimes as well. But so I think that has been some of my healing uh, on the way. And then I started to study NLP, so neuro-linguistic programming in a coaching school. And that's when I really realized that, okay, this is what I need to learn. And then I learned a few things that has really, really stuck with me and that I've kept. And, and it's, I don't know how to say this, but I have a sense of truth 
Um, so when someone tells me something, I can fine tune, I think, whether, yes, that hits, that resonates, but that does not resonate. Um, and I think that's the, the, the beauty of having a sensitivity can be really exhausting sometimes uh, still I use that that calibration of truths um, and I learned that when I when I dug into the to the um, study of emotions really and I learned I got some tools that could help me to understand that I always have a choice for example and I learned to understand that and this has become a really, really true belief that there is a good intention behind every single action that we do and that we see, no matter how terrible that action is, there is a good intention behind it. But sometimes it's hardly visible at all. I mean, you can just look at the world situation and wars going on. You can't, I meet that a lot, and you say, you can't say that. But I can still say that because if we go into every person, every history, every childhood, all the traumas that's been, you know, kept and, and, and not handled probably. And, and th that can make people do horrible things. But the intention might be a lot of things. It can be to remove pain. It can be survival. It can be so many things. And you know this, but just the work I had to do to really carry and own that there is good intentions be behind everything. And that made me meet people in a different way, I think. It takes courage to meet people that way. So may I come in here? And uh, what I've heard, and then you mentioned several times, was sensitivity. That's as a foundation we are born with, most of us. We are very sensitive beings when we come to this world. And then... Already in your background, regardless of the harshness or someone trying to push their agenda on your sensitivity, you had a resilience teacher and a teacher of how to relieve yourself from extra burden, right? Which was body-taught, self-taught, and it, it is innate in human nature as well, if we listen. So that was the two generations away from you the resource was already there. And then from all this, it draws to the strength and the strength of vulnerability and to meet the other, if the other is actually different opinion than yours and the other, if you cannot properly understand it, why the actions or what kind of intentions drove those actions, the strength was there to allow that meeting to happen. So this is very, very nice timeline for me from everything what you said to bring it to the moment of that's how the brave heart leadership is born through your personal story and your personal life. So thank you so much for sharing it so openly with us and all of us who are hearing it. But now, as it's very natural to look at when we meet 
through our own inner journey when we meet people. We want to share our experiences with, or our knowledge with, which, as you said, led to professional training in your life already because the curiosity was there. And uh, to read the body clues, it's actually very interesting to know that behind that there is science, there is many different layers to unpack if we want. So how did you come to do that professionally in terms of trying to go to the places where it's really needed? And what helped you as a person, as a personal story, to find the entrance into those places? Well, I think it's been a long journey. So it's a lot of different things that have happened in parallel, of course. Um, I, I became an engineer. I was never supposed to be an engineer, so I never worked as one. But still, there is something with the engineering that is interesting because it's a, it's a way of, of um, of course, looking into science and seeing the physics of everything. And it's a way of being solution-oriented and looking for the reasons behind why things are happening. And I studied geology, and that's a timeline that's, that's forever to learn and to realize that we can actually study things that have happened billions of years, and we are right about now maybe destroying it more than we, more than we should. But still, that, that timeline of, of geology, I think, has been... A part of it also. I think my way of realizing when I'm not in a good place or when I'm not doing what I'm supposed to has been the way I've been keep moving. So I've I've used a lot of, you know, motivation to go to leave whatever I no, this is not it either. And then I've tried something new and I've done that with all of my heart. And then I've realized that no, that's not exactly it either. And I don't know if I've still found it, but what I've found now is what you're putting words to really, that working with the courage to be vulnerable has given me such a strength in life and such a more pleasant way of living. Um, I'm in so much more peace with myself. And that allows me to know that this means I can actually be the be closer to the best version of me. And I think that's why it's so important to tell for me to tell the story, because I don't think my story is very unusual. I mean, I've never I've not been into war. I've not been into very big crisis, but still, my experience of my little crisis has been, filling me. And I do think we go through life as an educational journey. I think life is education. I think we are here to learn. I think our souls are here to learn different things. And it's been a mystery to me to figure out the most important things that I'm going to learn. And what I realized was that the things that hurt the most is where the most important lessons are. So whenever I found myself in a really, really shitty situation, whether it was with a leader I didn't agree with, with an organization that went a different direction and I really, really fought hard and it didn't work and no one listened and I was so frustrated. And then I realized that, okay, then you gotta, you can always do something else. And 
that's the way I think I've learned to handle things. When things are really, really clear to me that this is not where I'm going to stay, then I need to move. And and I divorced also. Um, and that was probably the most courageous things I think I've ever done, I think, at least in my grown-up life. But, Gabriel, did I really answer your question? Since it's drawing from your actually personality and personal story and sharing the brave leadership skills and knowledge and learning together actually that's very important to mention for me too because when we do workshops when we share some seminars or whichever form we very often think that we have to be perfect and knowledgeable in what we want to raise the question but the, for me it's very important to always remind myself and others that we are learning and creating the space together so this journey of teaching and getting into the dialogue with people who are leading huge teams and big corporations and have a lot of power to change things they do and I think that's what happened was that I, I finally came over in a, in a consultancy business where I helped leaders um, that were in big change processes where uh, like, a, like picture a large organization that needs to reorganize and there is downsizing um, in the strategy. Uh, maybe economics are not going so well. They need to do some things. And one of the consequences will be that some people will lose their job. And I trained leaders to have these conversations. And with the background of knowing that people do the best they can, there are good intentions even behind conversations that are not so good. And And, you know, the words that we put into things, they come from, like you say, they come from um, the feeling that we have there and then, and when I when I started to really talk to the leaders that were going into these conversations about how bad they felt and how sorry they were to have to you know let people go and and yeah take them out of their job they had family situations you you kind of you became a judge over other people's lives and and maybe they had a huge risk maybe they really needed this job. That's when we really got into a training that wasn't just, you know, structural. This is the way the conversation needs to go and this is the law and blah, blah, blah. No, it ended up being that we need to have this conversation as a human being to a human being. It's you're not a leader now. You are someone that needs to have full empathy and the decision is still going to be the decision, but you can lift people out of an organization or you can pull them down and out and the way you leave them when they leave your organization is a huge difference it has a huge impact on how they move on in their lives so that's that's i think where it started for my interest to say how do we communicate based on how we feel and who we want because these leaders that were going to be let's call it quote judges over other people's lives because that's the way they felt they they really needed help 
to find their humanity. And what they did was it was much easier for them, for them to, you know, pull their jacket tight and and be a little harder and a little more, I don't know, maybe masculine and do it the rough way just to say, this is the way it's going to be and this is your deal and you need to sign here and buy, you know? And when they realized that they could give the same message in a different way, um, maybe give some career coaching, maybe a few hours, maybe we got, you know, ways to help them move on. Then they realized that what they really did was they pulled that jacket hard and tight because they wanted to protect themselves. Because they had such a huge amount of fear that they were doing something really harmful to these people that they let go of. So I think that's 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 that was like core part. And I, I did that for five years. And that's when I realized how important it is to help leaders meet people as people, as human beings. Here we come to this important message you already started sharing when you talked about your father of the masculinity and leadership and how we as leaders tend to divide somehow our bodies our minds and our feelings as if if it's a hard task we're supposed not to feel and just do it from our mind space and our bodies then get disembodied and also our feelings are not felt and now you are sharing that it is possible and you are teaching for five years people to do it in a humane rounded way but that also takes enormous amount of courage and leadership in itself because then you have to meet all those vulnerabilities in you in order to be able to be present fully to other human beings. And in this part, that's where I kind of wanted to come to the baseline. Courage and vulnerability so many times are misunderstood. And especially because you already mentioned in the environments of leaders of big companies. Uh, and so often it is perceived as being a boss being super, you know, like decisive and just like his or her words are the last, um, not so much considering the emotions or the situation of someone's personal lives and so on and so on. So if I'm approaching as someone who actually doesn't know courage and vulnerability other than that, what I just said. So what are those aspects of courage and vulnerability that are actually, let's say, the true ones? Well, I think I'll have to credit Brene Brown a little bit into this one because she said that the most vulnerability is the most accurate measure we have of courage. And I think that's really well said because... I do think if we if we talk to any leader and talk to them out of the office when they get up in the morning when they are also guess what they're human beings as well 
they they operate the same way as anyone, you know. And I, I'll get back to who who's a leader afterwards because that's also a big part. But if you if you picture a typical organization where you have maybe two, three, four um, levels of leaders, we are all the same, and. I do think that there is a misunderstanding when someone gets a leadership role still, even though I feel I'm talking about this all the time. There is still a misperception of how you need to behave and what you need to hold and what you need to handle. And if we could just lower that guard a little bit, then I think a lot more employees will feel that they have human beings as their leaders, not so much the role as their leader. And we can go into empathy. We need to understand the, 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 the true nature of empathy, the ability to, to feel into someone else's feelings, someone else's situation. And... To do that as a leader, I think you need to be so steady in your own shoes that you can dare to be so vulnerable that some of the stories you might have, conversations you might have with your employees, they will touch you as well. Because there is no way we can go into a relation and truly care for another without being touched emotionally ourselves and that takes a lot of vulnerability and it takes a lot of courage to dare to say you know what I've also had a situation like that what I do find is that most leaders that we talk to they want to talk to me in a coaching session in a mentoring session they want to call it a lot of different things but they want to talk about it when we have a closed room and then they don't know how to act it out and integrate it with their leadership role. So that's what we try to train a lot in the work that we're doing with, with brave leadership, because the bravest thing is to sh dare to show yourself vulnerable and, and honest, because none of us are perfect. None of us can do everything. You have good leaders that are good for some employees and some people, and, and they might not be a good leader for other people. It's a, it's a big, big, big and, and complicated puzzle. And I don't think the perfect leader exists, really. I think we all have our traits. We all have our pros and cons and, and talents and, and, and allergies and struggles. And any leader has that as well. But because of the hierarchical structure that has to be in, a, in a, at least the large organizations, there will be some kind of levels. There will be some kind of higher power to a leader higher up in a system. And if the leaders high in a system doesn't know how to handle that power with care and vulnerability and empathy then they will very soon be looked at as leaders that don't and leaders that just want to earn money and leaders that don't really understand people and all these things. Do you think to your, what you just said now, leadership somehow still sounds like a privilege rather than responsibility. And for me, I was very lucky personally because 
in my life, I mostly had leaders above me, if you want to call that hierarchical ladder, which I really looked up to, to see that, oh, you got me. If I slip, you've got me. And that I don't have that responsibility to catch everyone who is falling in the team, but I feel safe enough to grow and try to reach your level of skill set, your level of enthusiasm, your level of knowledge, and ask then, of course, you know, to learn more, to be more, to expand. And that is really, really different, I feel, from a general corporate hierarchical system where there are many unwritten and written, actually, rules assigned to certain levels. So when we start breaking those rules and we start asking leaders to be how can I help type of person rather than telling me how to do and what to do. For me, this is a key, trying to lead not from fear that I will be, as you said, an perfect leader, which I'll never be anyways, perfect one, but more to have this explorative, creative energy invited in the room, saying this is a situation at hand, how can we solve it together? I think that word is crucial. I think the we is crucial. Because I, I, and I, and I love that you're saying the responsible act of leadership. And I, I think that starts with ourselves. I think when we had the pandemic, we realized that we first need to lead ourselves because we had to lead our lives in a different way. Uh, the structure changed for all of us. So leadership to me starts with me. It starts with knowing how I can lead my life uh, to be the best version, to learn the most, to learn the things that I would like to learn, also to learn the things that I would not like to learn. <laughs> and if you then look at the responsibility of a leader of any department, because that's the way we have structured a lot of organizations. And I've been, I've been through a phase where I thought, can we just skip all kind of hierarchy structure? Can we just take it off? The thing is, to be aligned, we need leaders. We need some people that has a talent of pulling people together. I mean, what is more fun than being a part of a team where you can see that everyone has their contribution and you have a leader that sets the straight, that sets a you know, clear goal and a big star? And you can achieve things together that you could never achieve alone. So I think that the inclusion, the, the way of belonging needs us to follow those leaders that manage to do that in a way with the kind of and the experience of safety that you're, that you're putting words to. And I think this is why, of course, psychological safety is a word that has almost become a buzzword. It's all over. I think we cannot allow it to be a buzzword because I think it is so important for people to thrive and people to be, I like to talk about the best version of themselves. And that's not only about what a leader is doing to you or, or making you feel. It's, it's a combination of how you take the challenges that you're being given 
and how you feel supported and safe enough to fail um, and still try again and still feel that there's nothing wrong with you. You are encouraged to try again to, or maybe you find out that what you failed at wasn't your thing to keep doing. I mean, there are so many ways of going about this, but the essence, I think, is the feeling of knowing that you are wanted in the, in in a team. You are uh, appreciated with whatever talent you have, and whatever ability, and whatever trait that, or competence, or whatever that you are bringing creativity. Or so I think leadership is it's complex and it's it's hard. I think we will get a lot further if leadership understands that it's there, like any leader for any team needs to have um, a natural curiosity and an interest in leading through others. I kind of want to reframe the question that was before. Yeah, sure. And um, frame it into a more general sense, I think. So including the leaders, but also including the people in general. So it can be employees or, or, or just uh, people having their, their own roles. doesn't really matter. But what happens? What are we afraid of when we enter through that threshold? So when we are stepping from theory and we are actually realizing and we are unfreezing from that tension, separation, aloneness, aloneness standing in our power, what happens? What are we most afraid of? I think, well, this is, this is human nature. And this goes many, like geology, it goes many, 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 hundred, billion, billion, probably years back to whenever human beings evolved. Um, we are afraid of being alone. Or we are afraid of not belonging to a flock or to a herd. Because if at the savannah, thousands of years ago, if you were excluded from the group of people that supported the herd, you know, the group that you belonged to. If you were excluded, then you were probably left to die. So this is amygdala. It's our, it's our center, right? That's telling us there is a risk here. So, and this happens so much more than we realize. If someone gets angry at work, you go straight into fight or you freeze and you leave. I mean, these are things that you know are happening all the time. And I think this is the teachings that we need to do to leaders today also so they realize what kind of what kind of ground feelings and emergencies we are giving another human being by by reacting in rage for example and i do also believe that that, that not all leaders will go i don't know unpack everything all the way like this to be a good leader and maybe they don't have to but I think it's important 
you get to know people so much that you know a little bit about what their wounds are about. And I think that is maybe something that I wish to to contribute with with telling my story as well. Because I think that because I've told my male leaders all the way how much I've struggled with my father, I think that has made them understand why I can be so sad and be so vulnerable and so emotional with them saying very small little things, but because it hits the wound that I have from my childhood, it's very, very big and makes me very easily afraid of being excluded. So when someone's angry with me, that's the worst thing I know. You can tell me anything. Just, you know, rage is really, really hard. And I think that's just my story. I think we all carry those stories. And I think that's why I, th I think we are afraid of not being good enough. We're not, we're afraid of not being loved. We're not, we're afraid of not being worthy of love. I think that's where, where it all kind of starts. We are here. And I think we forget that we have love in our hearts from the beginning. And I think that's why it's so much talk about if you can find your own self-love, then you you will find yourself more resilient to what other people are trying to, or not trying because they're not doing it consciously, but are what you're afraid that they mean. You know, people are saying so many things um, that it took me a long time to learn. And still I... I I, I misunderstand, you know, when someone is just saying something easy and you can think, I'm not good enough. I didn't do that good enough. I wasn't prepared enough. I should have, could have done something else. Um, maybe it wasn't about me at all. Maybe that was a frustration in another ecosystem just beside me. And I think we, that fear of being alone and, and the fear of not being loved is so it's so strong because it is our survival by nature it feels that as we graciously if we learn which is probably the hardest thing because it's been happening for ions that people are still learning to graciously accept or understand or get to know their wounds at the same time, I think it's simultaneously we can start accepting with grace or understand or see with that awareness other people's wounds. So I think that that has the capacity of the different type of conversations to happen and the change to happen. There is so much to unpack here from what you just said. And uh, first of all, as Thomas Hubel, who is one of the teachers of trauma-informed leadership says, we should never forget that everyone carries our own world, meaning what you just said, our own traumas and trigger points. So my inadequate reactions are not because of your actions. So this we very often forget, I believe, in our daily lives, but also in our professional lives where we spend a lot of time. Another thing, 
very somehow while I was listening to you was so clear that you talk about you know eons of years and uh, as if the pack and belonging belongs to the past whereas for me ever since I was born it's so present and whenever I heard I forgot who said that quote of if you want to travel fast you travel alone and if you want to travel far we travel together that it's exactly general truth as it was thousand years ago except that now the survival of our well-being matters so here it's a perfect entry point from my understanding to look at Norwegian society in particular, which kind of took away the pack mentality into individual mentality quite to the extremum compared to different other societies and countries because economics allows people to live individually. And what kind of connotations that brings to our lives as individuals, but also in our working life too. I totally agree. The the fears that we have was not only in earlier times. It's it's here. It's present. It's there all the time. And you're bringing in a lot of culture, and that just gives me a lot of things that I could elaborate on. Uh, one thing is the Norwegian culture, and I, I do think it's it's important to look at how culture is influencing the different ways that we choose to or even see possible solutions to leading good lives within a culture. And I think I think we need um, I think this is something we need in common, but especially in the Western world, we need to choose a different path away from productivity away from the hustle and bustle we need to um, look at I mean you can use any any form of nature any species really and you can even go into high athletes high performing athletes they rested they have restitution they know how to make their bodies work the best and it's a very isolated, easy way to see how can the physical body work at its best. If I wanted to be a runner, then I would get all the knowledge from, you know, nutrition and rest. And, and I would try and fail and I would find out how my body or how fast my body can possibly work if I give it all the best. And then I think also that the mental training is a big part of that how do we what do we believe that we can do in order to perform and and i think that every one of us is is having these thoughts in some kind of way every day i mean i don't mean that we are that we are athletes or super performers we want to find out how we can contribute in the best way how we can thrive and how we can have a good time with our friends and family. And I think that's what's pushing, it's, it's coming to the surface now. So many people, as we have created, humanity has created a system with more, with more depression, more bad nutrition. Some people starve and some people eat really, really 
not good for the for the natural body. Um, we have all these discussions about you know mental health at work. It is important. Still, I think we need to start looking inwards a little bit more because we have all the answers within us. I know when my body is telling me when I need to rest. I mean, and, and someone is pushing me not to rest because I believe that they are expecting something different from me. Then I should know that then I'm not preparing, my, I'm not setting myself up for success, no matter what that success means. Whether it means being a, a rested mother or it means going to work and, I don't know, doing your career. It goes for everyone. We need to rest and be in nature and and let you know our systems be what they were supposed to to be in the first place. And that also is in the in the community. That also is taken care of. So we're getting very very fast down to in my in the way I work anyway to values. You know how how conscious are we? about what's really, really important. So that's where, where I was a minute ago. I'm coming back to that thread because we have created a system that's, that's basically in a lot of ways worse than ever for human nature. Uh, we, have, we have suicidal sta statistics just racing to the sky. People are giving up. That's the, we need to wake up and we need to take care of ourselves and each other I'm not going to say like we did before, but in a new way. And I think that that demands a higher sense of awareness and consciousness from all of us. At the same time, it's so interesting that with the, the more information we looks like we have, the more scientific data we gather of how things work, how traumas work on our bodies, how our nervous system responds to things, how, um, how the environment affects us and all that stuff. Like we know so much and it's so widely available. But as you're saying, the rates are not going down of suicide, of depression, of mental health issues, of miscommunication all that stuff is actually somehow rising so i'm always having this question at the back of my mind so what is it really like what else do we need or like where lies the answer and of course as you said it's definitely kind of growing that awareness much higher than it is now on a societal level and it's definitely breaking the structures that we are used to. And it's definitely rebalancing because like the scales of active, uh, of activities that we make our bodies and our nervous system do, it's just way beyond the, the normal. So we have, that, we have to have that rebalancing of actually talking and talking endlessly about how important it is to rest. Even though it goes like against the grain still completely, like, what do you mean resting? Like, it's all about, you know, doing more, 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 like being productive. What are the ways to do this, 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 making plans, making to-do lists and blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. I was like, well, but actually, 
I don't, I don't feel okay with this. Like I actually am not okay with this. <laughs> and how I supposed to, you know, continue living if it feels like different for me, like for my sensitivity or whatever. So yeah, I don't know. Like I'm not going anywhere that w- in a way w- with a question to you necessarily while saying that, but it's, yeah, what, what do we need? What do we need for it to change, Gabriela? Again, you're driving naturally for me from theory into practice into embodiment. And knowing that, by as we spoke already, a little bit touched upon uh, before, that leadership or structures are not necessarily bad thing in the way when they are executed right. Now we are using that black and white terms right or wrong but when it's you understand what i mean when it's used with compassion and empowerment of other people so the same way we have more and more uh, legislations laws pushed down it looks like from first glance on uh, companies corporations as a burden to meet the strategy goals to meet all sorts of different legislations which not necessarily are embodied in the organizations and when we don't have and I feel most of the societies don't have very simple basic emotional intelligence education how our nervous system works how our emotions work how our bodies work and we're trying to achieve something which is as far as the cloud somewhere up in the sky it becomes a race against wind almost. So maybe you can share a little bit about what tools and legislations and frameworks you found useful while implementing and trying to breach that gap between need and where we actually are as society. Oh, there are so many things I could I could do as examples still uh, I think I would like to mention um, that from the frustration of cracking these these doors open um, in leadership groups because like we talked about vulnerability like we talked about how we need the honest and and authentic authentic conversations in all rooms how we need authentic and and empathic leaders for for an organization to really be healthy uh if we can talk about healthy organizations it's a it's there are very many different ways we can you know open up and say oh that's the way it is and 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 i feel we have to you know talk to a leadership group for a while for them to i would almost say admit that we need to talk about the emotional aspects of how we thrive we can't talk about motivation without talking about feelings you know still a lot of people want to talk about motivation without without feeling what gut feeling, what makes them move and do things. And through all this work, um, we found that courage is what we really, really believe that we all have available. We all know 
in some form what it feels to be courageous. And we can turn up the volume. And we've talked for many years already how the magic happens outside of our comfort zone. Well, that's also just a wording if we don't really go into what does that mean? Because out of comfort zone takes courage. It needs to, you know, hit some bravery. And then you need to understand why do I want to go out of that comfort zone? Is it something in there for me? What's in it for me? That's... That's when we start moving out of our comfort zone, really. And then about a year ago, we found a, a very, very interesting worldwide initiative that's called Inner Development Goals. And it started b from frustration. I think it started in 2015 somewhere. But it started from the frustration that we're never going to reach the UN sustainability goals unless we start doing things differently and then it was a lot of researchers it was a Swedish initiative but it was a lot of researchers that felt the same frustration so they called it from frustration to action I mean how can we really how can we mobilize this as a global thing and just April 22, so just a bit more than a year ago, they launched what they call in development goals. And what they found is that through surveys and through a lot of research, they found that there are 23 skills that human beings can train in order to gain awareness and, and raise the level of consciousness. Because I think a lot of people were like, well, do I have to be religious to raise my... I mean, there are so many ways of perceiving this. And, and you said black and white. I think there are so many people thinking, well, if my employees just need to rest, then I won't get the production I need. No, it's not this or that. It is, yes, thank you both. We need to look at things in a, in a different way. And one of those 23 skills is critical thinking. So those 23 skills, they're divided into five, five dimensions, if you want. And, and it starts with being. First, we need to be and learn how to be self-aware, how to observe, how to feel, how to connect our values to our actions, um, and how to learn to have a, a, a growth mindset, how to be able to learn new things. Like Amy Edmondson says, it's hard to, she says, she believes the basic or the most important human challenge is this. She says, uh, it's hard to learn when you already know. And I think that's true, because I think we all think that we know. And we need to rethink. And at the same time as all of this is happening, Adam Grant is launching his book, Think Again. You know, we need, so critical thinking is just one of them. But from being, we need to start thinking in a different way. We need to challenge our cognitive uh, abilities. And then we need to relate to each other. So relating is the third dimension. And when we start relating to ourselves in a new way, to our relations in our families, in our friendships, in our partnerships, in our families, if we can relate in a different way, if we can remember that everything that's going on around me comes from a good intention for example what how much would that change if we could all just 
embrace some 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 common truths with a little bit more understanding. And then collaboration or collaborating is the fourth dimension. How do we collaborate? How do we observe the collaborations in a well-functioning team? How do we evaluate? How do we change the way we communicate, the way we talk, the way we understand each other's perspectives before we start acting? And acting is the fifth dimension. So this inner development goals, it started with, with knowing that we need to look within, still it connected the dots so nicely uh, in the work that I'm doing because, yes, it starts with me. That means each and every one of us can start. We can start practicing these skills. And they're not very unusual skills. It's like trust is one of them. Do I trust people? Can we start having conversations about trust? It really is. I mean, just to make a few examples. And then... It is a systematic change, or it's a systematic picture, so that whatever happens in, if my body is my ecology, whatever happens in me happens between three of us in this room. And then we influence each other with the energies that we carry. And then you can just put the layers on top, and then it will have the global impact of the social fields that we keep creating um, among us. So... To me, the inner development goals gave me a platform and a tool and a way of showing both leaders, I mean, basically everyone, that we can all do something and we can start with ourselves and we can start observing and raising the awareness of how we collaborate and how we interact with each other. And then I think things might change slowly. But I think that's the where that's where we can start. I mean, I don't want to. I I don't want to sit here and be frustrated about the environment going the wrong way anymore. I I just need to find something that I can do that I can do every day, and I believe that this will be a good contribution. So that's a that's an important tool that we are going to keep working with for a long time. I also kind of want to echo one thing what you said. I, it kind of stuck uh, stuck with me. Um, I might paraphrase it, but uh, it's that we think we know, but actually there's so much unlearning to do and there's so much noticing to do in between the layers that we know we know. And I think having that space of allowing that to happen you know, from time to time is definitely a vulnerable place to be. Because then you have to shock your ego. And uh, but at the same time, I think it gifts with this surprise that, oh, there's, there was something that I didn't know and now we know. And that's like this kind of the step into the development, both personally. And I think this is, of course, that has the impact also eventually on the collective field as well. So I'm very aware that we are at the end of our conversation. And as usually, I have this last question for each of our guests. And it's very simple. It might be also complex. But what is less stress for you? 
in any way. Mm. Less stress. Well, stress for me has many layers, but to make maybe the shortest and best answer is the reason why I started um, started studying coaching. Because what I realized when I started was what I really, really wanted more than anything was inner peace. I wanted to find that calm peace where I can just be. And I have different places I can find it. I'm, I'm, I'm learning to bring it with me in everything I do. That's fair. That's oh, to me, it feels still impossible. <laughs> that doesn't mean that there is stress whenever I don't feel inner peace. So that's why it's a lot of layers. I think less stress for me is to feel safe. Uh, less stress is to know that I can rest. But you know what? It is also knowing that I am contributing to something that's bigger than me so if I'm very busy maybe there is a period of time where things are going really fast and I and I think that I can't catch my breath I could I could call that stressful still when I can connected to my values and why now I can see that I'm doing it for something that means something to me, then I don't feel stressed the same way. Then I might just feel that I'm in a hurry. But that's a big difference. <laughs> Did that make sense? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, we have this uh, interesting practice um, from my somatic studies. It's called radical resting. Mm -hmm. And it's actually where uh, we all, as a group, decide to just rest consciously <laughs> and not do anything else. And it has this amazing power yes. and this transformative change after when it finishes. Yeah. Like it's something just like shifts radically in the space. And like for me, it's such a big proof how the collective resting can actually change the world. Yes. Oh, can I just tell a small story at the end? Because what we do now in our leadership trainings, that is that is brave leadership. We, of course, we, we do tell them why we're doing this, but we do start with a collective meditation. And it can be easy. And usually we're guiding it a little bit and then we're making people rest. Long story, I could tell you a lot about what we're doing, but the essence is that after maybe three hours or maybe we've had a training going over two days, when we ask them, what was the most important thing that you are taking away from this meeting, this session, workshop, whatever? And it's without exception. It is the way you made us put our feet on the ground and catch our breath and be present in the moment and rest collectively in order to align our minds to work on what we're supposed to do. I think it's just so invaluable and that's what we all need. We don't, it's not about the big money, but it's actually about the resting. 
So I know that we could continue. We could. <laughs> so thank you so much for coming uh, and having. Um, and it's really such a pleasure to have you here, uh, Annika and Gabriela. Thank you so much for allowing us to share the space of brave leadership with you today. Thank you so much for being curious of what I work with. And I feel so naturally we arrived to this being, becoming and belonging in which we breathe in and breathe out, that leadership requires and asks us, as well as life and be present in our lives, all those three qualities. And at the same time, the last note to you was when I checked your website and I saw that uh, you have upcoming uh, Oslo Brave Hub of IDGs, which was actually full. I just laughed and said, well done you. <laughs> Thank you. means that inner development work is spreading in Oslo and people are curious. So we just celebrate and continue doing what we're doing so more and more of us can rest together in leadership roles as well. Thank you so much. This is Javilla and you're listening to Less Stress Podcast. Thank you once again for coming to the end of our conversation. As usually, I really hope you take something from it and bring it with you. Just a gentle reminder, if you want to support us and our podcast uh, on Patreon, you can find us there, less stress, and donate any amount you like. We would really appreciate that. Another thing that you could do if you enjoy our podcast, just go on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts and rate us there. And once again, as I talked at the beginning, we released a new website. And by going there to the offer section, you can truly help us to understand what mental health toolbox you would like to see as a client, as a person, as a human. And also, if you would like to know about our business offers, our one-on-one -on -one sessions and the workshops, so please go there and uh, you will be directed to the type form through which you can communicate and express your needs. So thank you once again, and I'll see you soon. This is Javila, and you're listening to Less Stress Podcast. Thank you.